Isaiah chapter number 55 this morning. Isaiah chapter number 55. I bring another message in the vein of recent messages on the matters of uh, our hurt and our pain and our whys. And this will be yet another message in that same um, subject matter. And I want to help you this morning. I want to be a blessing to you this morning. And I, um, you know, again, I'll say, as I said in weeks past, you may not need this message today, but you will need it one day. Some of you will need it today. Some of you are in the throes of adversity to this morning. And, uh, but you are, everybody is either uh, just finishing a season of adversity or smack dab in the middle of one or getting ready to go into one, all right? Because that is life. Life is adversity. And we are living in a broken world. We're broken people living in a broken world. And by the way, the sooner you learn that, the happier you'll be. The sooner you learn that, life is difficult, it's filled with hardship and adversity, the happier you'll be. You know why you're upset? You think life's supposed to be perfect, but it never will be. It never will be. So let's go ahead and debunk that this morning right now. Amen? Life is filled with adversity. Amen? And so what we need is a biblical perspective on it. Isaiah 55, stand with me out of respect for the Word of God, please. Isaiah 55, beginning at verse number 6, then reading through verse number 9. Isaiah 55, reading verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. And if you would, read these verses aloud with me, please. Ready. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Notice, if you will, in verse uh, number 7, he said, forsake, let the wicked forsake his ways and his Thoughts and the unrighteous man, his thoughts. You see that? You see that? Uh, you want to be right with God? Forsake your ways, forsake your thoughts, and what's the alternative? His ways. Amen? His thoughts. And the Bible says uh, that his thoughts are not ours, his ways are not ours, and as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Amen. How many of you remember when a kid, you remember when you were a kid and you were trying to jump and touch the top of the doorway? And oh, it was a big deal when you got that day, you could jump and hit the top of the door. How many of you when you were tall enough to just, without even jumping, finally you could reach up and tap the top of the doorway, right? That's a big deal, right? It was higher than you. Well, the Bible says God's ways are higher than the heavens. Amen? Try all you want, jump all you want, grow all you want. You can't touch that. That's beyond our reach, in other words. Now go to Psalm 131. Psalm 131, you're in Isaiah. Going to back up just a little bit toward the middle of your Bible. To Psalm 131. Just three verses. Psalm 131. Let's read these, uh, this chapter together. All three verses. Psalm 131 and verses 1, 2, and 3. Reading together. Ready? Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. David, 
wrote this psalm. And David said here in verse number 1, My heart is not haughty, not proud. I'm humble in heart. Nor mine eyes lofty. Now what goes along with that? Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Now David was uh, many things. He was an intellectual. David was a songwriter. He's a magnificent writer. Uh, he was a, an accomplished musician. He was a warrior. He was a great leader. Amen. So he was no he was no uh, dimwit. He was not a dunce. Uh, but David said, uh, "But there's some things out of my league. There are some things that are too lofty, too high. There are some great matters." that are above my pay grade. And he said, in those things, I do not exercise myself. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, things too high for me. I first titled this message, Stop Trying to Understand. But I like my other uh, title better. So, But I want to tell you what the other one was. In case you like it better, you can use that one. But that is the concept I want to convey. Stop trying to understand. But here's the way the psalmist said it. Things too high for me. Father, I love you this morning. I'm so thankful to be here and to have your word in front of me and your precious people. We are the sheep of your pasture. Shepherd our souls today through your word. And without the aid of the Holy Spirit speaking through me and to your people, Lord, we'll have no help. So please take over and speak to us from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and you may be seated. In John chapter 9, there's a fascinating story of a man who was born blind. The disciples, uh, like so many of us, wanted to find some explanation for this adversity in this man's life. And they jumped to conclusions. They said to the Lord, they said, uh, who sinned that this man should be born blind? I mean, there's no, there's no reason that a man should be born blind. That's just awful, man, be born blind. Why, good night. Everybody ought to be able to see. And if a man is born blind, then obviously somebody somewhere did something wrong. And the disciples said, was it his parents or was it him? Was it his parents or was it him? And Jesus, uh, he said, neither one. This man was born blind. Here's the explanation in the third verse. That the works of God should be made manifest. That the works of God should be made manifest. This man was born blind so God could afford himself an opportunity for folks to see what a great God he is. Now, when this man headed home, the neighbors were the first to see him. By the way, the story, here's the story. Jesus turned to the man and gave two commands. He said, go and wash. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Two things. Here's a man born by... They're having, this, uh, they're having a discussion in front of him. You know, I, it, we, I go to hospitals and someone's got a loved one lying in the bed and maybe they're not conscious and people start talking to them. I try to move away from the bed. I don't like to talk about a person laying in bed when they're right there because they can hear us. And a lot of times they're comprehending things that we don't know until afterwards. Sometimes folks wake up and say, why are y'all talking about me like that? And uh, anyway, but here's a blind man and, and the disciples start this conversation. He, I mean, he's right there. They, he can hear what they're saying. Now that, that, wasn't, that was pretty insensitive. Somebody understand that? Lord, did this man do wrong or his parents do wrong? That man's a helpless man sitting there. What? And he had reason to, to, to be a doubter and to be a skeptic. Good night. The disciples are basically implicating him. They don't even know him. And Jesus said, neither one, fellas. God did this so he could show off. So he could show his mighty works. And then Jesus turned to the blind man. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Jesus spat. Got a little little dirt. Made a little clay out of it. Put it on the man's eyes. He, he couldn't see it coming. You imagine a blind man? What's he doing? Put mud on my eyes. And Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Here's what the next verse says. Or the rest of that verse says. He went his way, therefore, and washed 
and came see. Jesus said, go wash. He went and washed. And he got his eyesight back. Amen. What was that? It was an act of faith. It didn't have to make sense. He'd been blind. His whole life he'd been blind. But he simply, in obedient faith to the Lord, did what God told him to do, and God healed him. Now, here come the Pharisees. Uh, excuse me, the neighbors are first. And the neighbors questioned him in verse uh, 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 number 9. They, they saw him, and they started talking. They said, is not this he that sat and begged? Isn't that, isn't that the beggar? Isn't that the blind beggar? And, and somebody said, oh, no, it just looks like it. And he goes, no, that's me. I, I'm him. <laughs> and they said, well, how did that happen? How are thine eyes open? We get down to verse number. He explains Jesus and spitting clay and all that stuff. And get down to verse 12. He said, where is he? Where is he? He said, I don't know. Verse 13. They brought him to the Pharisees. Now, that's a little bit uh, presumptuous as I read that. Uh, you'll have to come with us. So he's not a real person because he's been blind all these years. He's supposed to be treated that way. You, that's what I read into that. Anyway, uh, come with us. You'll have to, we'll, have to, we'll have to go talk to the religious experts about this. So they bring him to the Pharisees. What well, the Pharisees do? They asked him also. They also asked him. said, uh, you're blind? Uh, yes, sir. How did this happen? They questioned him. And, uh, and so he tells them again how, how it happened, who did it. And, and, so, and so some of them said, well, my goodness, uh, uh, that, that, must be, that was a miracle. That was a, this miracle? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it sounds like it. I don't know. And so they're, they're, they get an argument back and forth. And, and so they go back to the blind man again, and they say, uh, uh, what's this out of him? What do you think of this man? And he said, well, he's, he, I guess he's a prophet. <laughs> I mean, he'll be. No, he can't be a prophet. No, 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 he's not a prophet. He can't, can't be a prophet. can't possibly be a prophet. He said, uh, the Jews did not believe concerning him. They had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents. So when the man told him what happened, they have an argument. Did this really happen? Did this not happen? He said, it must happen. It's a miracle. And they said, they said uh, uh, this guy that you say healed you, what do you think, who do you, what do you think of? He's a prophet. Ah, oh, that's not possible. Because if he's a prophet, we'd know about it. Because we're in charge of everything. <laughs> and he said, you probably weren't even blind. You probably, you probably made this whole thing up. These are the religious experts. So they discredit him. And they say, uh, let's, let's ask, we better ask his parents. We better verify. Call his parents. <laughs> and they, they say, is this your son? Was he born blind? Did he get healed? They say, well, that's definitely our son. And yes, he was born blind. But how he got healed, we don't really know about that. They were afraid of the pressure. So they go back to the man again. They said, now, be honest with you this time. How did you get healed? He said, I, I already told you once. This man came and, 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 and he spit it and some dirt and made some clay, put it on my eyes, told me to go wash his eyes. I went and washed. And they said, that's not possible because we don't know who this guy is. He said, look, whether it's possible or not, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. Amen. You go all the way through chapter 9 and they are questioning, 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 criticizing. And then finally, when that doesn't work, the man still won't renounce his story. He, they insult him. The Bible said they reviled him. These bears, they reviled this man. And they keep asking questions. He says, you, uh, you know, you guys are full of questions. Are you, are, you, are you interested in being one of his disciples? He said, we're no disciple of that man. We don't even know who he is. And they reviled him. Now they're angry. And they said, we know that God's speaking to Moses. But for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. As though you don't re- really exist unless they know who you are and you have their special uh, commendation. Now, my point in all this is this. The Pharisees, all they had was questions. They had no answers. They were seeking to understand the working of the infinite God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, refusing at the same time to believe who He was and what He was doing until they had all the answers. In the chapter right before this, in chapter 8, Jesus has spoken in plain terms to them. They said, who are you? He said, I and my Father are one. And if you don't believe, in John 8, 27, you don't believe that I and my Father are one, then you will die in your iniquities. They said, that's blasphemous. No way. We can, we're the religious experts. And who you are, who do you think you are to try to teach us something? They've already chosen unbelief. And in verse number 9, where they have a miracle that proves that he's the son of God, they can't accept it. So what they do, they revile him. And they kick the man out of the synagogue. You can't be, you can't, they, they, they excommunicated him. You can't be in our religious club. <laughs> so here these Pharisees have all questions and no answers. But here's the thing. Even in their questions, their own unbelief would not suffice. They could not rest content until everyone indulged their unbelief. Which again, 
would not be assuaged until they themselves understood how this could possibly happen. If you dared to believe and were vocal about it, then you'd get kicked out of the religious system, which is what happened to this man who experienced a miracle. No wonder Jesus called that crowd the blind leading the blind. They could not accept that there were some things they simply could not understand. They could not accept that there was some knowledge above their own, some ways and thoughts above their own, that some things were inexplicable, that the only way to enjoy them and experiences is just simply to trust and just simply to believe, and that's what they refused to do. They could not believe that Jesus Christ was who He claimed to be. Someone has said, we cannot, by searching, find out God. Intellectual acuteness has never yet succeeded in discovering God. My dear friends, we come to know God, not by my understanding Him, but we come to know God by simply trusting Him. The Bible tells the book of Hebrews, He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So not only that He exists, He is, but that He is a rewarder. He is interactive in our lives, a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to be sought. He wants to be pursued. He wants to be loved and honored and and, and, and admired. He loves us and He wants us to love Him in return. You cannot understand a God that you refuse to trust. You approach God by faith, not by intellectual understanding. Let me give you some thoughts this morning. Would you know God? Stop trying primarily to understand Him and learn simply to trust Him. Number one, His ways. Trust His ways. We read about that in Isaiah 58. His ways are above our ways. They're past finding out. Romans 11.33 says it this way and helps us to understand that word, ways. When he says in Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. God puts ways and judgments next to each other in that verse. They are, they are synonyms. And judgments is, it's like our word verdict. It means God's decisions. It's not talking about His punishment. Judgments, when you make a judgment call, uh, a, 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 we, uh, uh, you have a, a referee, and we call him a, a line judge in volleyball. You have a, a, a umpire and, uh, and, uh, whose job it is to make judgment calls, a strike, a ball, so forth like that. And so that's the word judgments. God's judgments, His decisions, His ways are past finding out. Someone says, well, I, I don't understand that decision. I don't understand that. Now listen, you want to approach God, you approach God by faith, not by understanding. Someone says, well, my boss, he thinks his way is the only way. You know, I understand that as a leader. As a leader, I sometimes have information that would not be ethical for me to share with others. That's part of leadership. In fact, we have a policy among our staff And the policy is meant to keep us from unintentionally hurting other people. And that policy is this. If a staff member comes to me and says, Pastor, I like to use so-and-so in this area of ministry, and I've already talked to him about it, and uh, just want to make sure it's okay with you. The answer is automatically no. You say, why? Because the leader who has to answer to God for things must have the opportunity based on the knowledge that sometimes he alone has to make that decision. And sometimes that means the leader cannot explain his decision to others because it would not be ethical to do so. Part of being a leader, part of being a pastor is shepherding souls. And I'll tell you something. If I, if I went around and told everybody's business to everybody else, it wouldn't be long. I wouldn't have anybody to shepherd. So part of being, and if you're a boss at where you work, you understand this. There are certain things that you know as a boss that you that it would not be ethical for you to share with just everybody, and 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 uh, and sometimes as a parent 
You understand. There are some things you understand that your children don't yet understand and it may not be time for them to understand. And you make decisions that affect your children and you're like, well, I don't understand why they can't do it. Well, perhaps one day you will. Right now, I just need you to trust my decision. Do you know who decided that a man should run his home? God did. Do you know who decided that a wife should be a helper to her husband? God did. Do you know who decided that children should obey their parents in the Lord? God did. Do you know who decided that a man should provide for his family and a thousand other directions that we get from God's Word? God did. Amen? It's His Word. It's His decision. It's His way of doing it. You say, well, we're living in the modern age. And don't you know, uh, don't you know we have equal rights now? Don't you know it's demeaning, uh, for a woman to be a keeper at home? And don't you know, don't you know there's such a thing as a, as a, as a house husband now? Don't you understand that? Hey, listen, this book hasn't changed. His ways are still His ways. And if you understand them or don't understand them, they're still His ways. And we don't follow His ways because we understand His ways. We follow Him because we trust Him. We do it His way because we trust Him. We sat at the Hawthorne Hotel about maybe 24 hours or something like that. 36 hours. I don't remember how long it was. After little Abigail, our first child, came out of surgery. supposed to be a four to five hour surgery. It lasted all day. And then finally the... the um, Operating room uh, surgeon called, and we were there in the waiting room. Of course, the phone on the wall rang, and I went to the phone. And the surgeon said, "We finished, but we haven't closed her chest up because her heart's not beating on its own. We're keeping it beating." And uh, I said to the doctor, "I said, Doc, I said, just be honest with me." They had told us there was a ninety percent success rate that she'd come through her surgery and. 90% chance that she would live and, and be fine. And I said, Doc, be honest with me. He said, well, the best I could tell you is she, she, she has probably a 50-50 chance to live. We stayed there at the hospital, I guess, I don't know, 24 hours or something like that. And the Ronald McDonald house uh, was, uh, was, um, was full or something or was under construction maybe. But anyway, those uh, whoever those giving folks are, provided a hotel room for us so that we could stay there close to the hospital, which that was a real blessing. And so we had a room at the Hawthorne Hotel, just uh, maybe three-quarters of a mile from the hospital. And we'd been up, you know, stayed. And we finally went back to the hotel to get freshened up, and we sat for a while just quietly, didn't say anything, pulled in the parking lot, turned the vehicle off, and we just sat there. And then after a little while, the silence was broken and we began to talk about the news that we heard. And one of us, I don't remember if it was myself, I don't remember if it was my wife, but one of us said, you know, whether she lives or not, what a blessing that God let us have her for these two and a half months. And we decided just to praise the Lord for the time we had. He would give us another three weeks with her before he took her home. You say, couldn't God have let her live? Yes. God could just as easily decided to let her live. Why didn't he? Because he wanted it that way. Why do you want it that way? I don't know. But he wanted it that way. And guess what? He's my God. And I love him. That's my Jesus. He died for me. You want to be closer to God? Quit trying to figure God out and start trusting him. In 2 Samuel 22, 31 and Psalm 18, 30, we read the exact phrase, As for God, His way is perfect. God makes no mistakes. God's decisions are always right decisions. Number two, would you know God 
Would you approach God? Would you be close to God? Then seek not primarily to understand Him, but learn simply to trust His ways. Number two, to trust His works. To trust His works, His ways, His decisions, how He makes them, His mode of operation, if you will, His works, what He has done and what He is doing. Job 9 and verse 10 said, Which doeth great things, past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Which doeth great things, past finding out. If you go back and look at those verses, the verse before, he mentions constellations in the sky. Last night, uh, Stacy and I um, rode our bikes in the dark. And um, for a while. And then we crawled into the trampoline. And we lay on our backs. And uh, tried to figure out where the planets were. And the constellations. And by the way, there's a neat little app for your phone. What's it called? Star, Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Tracker. Star something. It's not Star Trek. Keep, keep out of my sermon. Anyway. Is that what it's called? Star Trek? Okay. Here's, it's a neat little thing. What you, whatever it is. You put this app on your phone and you go out at night and, and, and it, it has a, I guess, a whatever, some GPS thing, whatever. Anyway, but it, it will tell you the names of the stars. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, okay, see, I'm not making this up. Uh, and so, so anyway, we lay there and, and, and found several of the constellations. But you know, you can't, you, can't, you can't lay on your back and look up at the sky for very long without getting a sense of the wonder of God and His creative power. You know, the evolutionist refuses to accept a truth namely the works of God in creation because he can't figure it out. And because the evolutionist says, well, we, we, we don't understand, we, 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 we can't figure it out, so that can't be true. How, how can an all-knowing, all-wise, eternal God just speak and create everything? We don't understand that, so they, so they reject it. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Listen to that verse. Keep that which is committed to thy trust. Not understanding, not comprehension, committed to thy trust. How is he to do that? The verse continues. Avoiding profane, godless babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. This is a great verse. Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Paul had earlier written to Timothy that he had known the Scriptures from a child. He had a godly mother and a godly grandmother. And he had learned the Scriptures from a child. And Paul said, you keep that which was committed to your trust. Not to your intellect, not to your understanding. Uh, And how do you do that? You stay away from godless babblings and oppositions of of science falsely so-called. False science. Get that picture ready there, Jerry, if you have that for me. If nothing is true until the evolutionist understands it, stay with me now. We're talking about God's works. Talking about His creative work right now. If nothing is true until we understand how it works, then bumblebees can't fly. Bumblebees can't fly. Because scientifically, aerodynamically, it is impossible for a bumblebee to fly. There's only one problem. They do fly. So somebody somewhere knows something more than the scientist. Falsely so called. If nothing is true until the evolutionist understands it, then it is impossible... For a single fossilized tree to be found upright in several different layers of rock. 
Because we all know that those layers are formed over thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of years. So for a tree to be fossilized in several different strata from thousands of years apart from each other, that's not possible. Except there they are. Many of them. I don't have a picture. But if nothing is true until evolutionists understand it, then it would be impossible for fish fossils to be on top of mountains all over the world in multiple continents. That is not a local flood. That's a worldwide flood. But if you're an evolutionist, you certainly can't believe in a worldwide flood because that make the Bible true. That make the Bible true. That make Genesis 1 true. Then we'd be out of a job, wouldn't we? While I was contemplating these thoughts, I looked up Wikipedia. And it is. Wikipedia says this about creationism. Creationism is the religious belief that nature, the universe, earth, life, and humans originated with supernatural acts of divine creation. Creationism includes religious views which vary in their acceptance or rejection of scientific explanations, such as evolution, that describe the origin and development of natural phenomena. Uh, First of all, I learned this in grammar school. Science is observation. Do I have a science teacher here? Help me out. Observation, experimentation, a, what's next, hypothesis or theory? Hypothesis, test your hypothesis, and then form a theory, right? Right? Okay, let me ask you a question. Whoever saw a monkey turn to a man? Well, don't you know? Don't you know that the world is evolving? You park your brand new Cadillac out in the field and come back 25 years later and you're not going to have a BMW. You're going to have a rust bucket. The world is not advancing. The world is decaying. But listen to this. Is, this is Wikipedia's Wikipedia. Let me make sure I pronounce it. Wikipedia's own definition that creationists are people who believe nature, universe, earth, life, humans came about by supernatural divine creation, and uh, it includes religious views which vary, which reject scientific explanations of uh, natural phenomena. Wait a minute. I said, I asked Brother Google, Google, phenomena. Oxford Dictionary pops up. Remember, remember, those ignorant creationists who reject science because science explains through evolution the natural phenomena around us. Google, phenomena. A fact or situation that is observed to exist, oops, or happen, especially one whose cause or explanation is in question. They actually use an example from the natural world, a sentence, glaciers are unique and interesting natural phenomena. In other words, we can't explain it, but we know it's there because we can see it. Let me paraphrase what Wikipedia has to say about, uh, about a creationist. Creationists are just ignorant religious nuts because they don't accept our explanation of the unexplainable. Who are some of these ignorant people? Well, uh, a lawyer that was born in uh, 1735 who became a president by the name of John Adams 
and a merchant by the name of Samuel Adams and a physician by the name of Josiah Bartlett and, and a merchant uh, by the name of uh, 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 Charles uh, Carroll and another lawyer by the name of Samuel Chase and another law, lawyer and survey by the name of Abraham Clark and another merchant by the name of George Clymer and another lawyer and merchant by the name of William Ellery and a land speculator by the name of William Floyd and a scientist and a printer by the name of Benjamin Franklin. I, I remember that guy. And a merchant by the name of uh, 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 Elbridge uh, uh, Gary and a physician and a preacher by the name of Lyman Hall and a merchant by the name of John Hancock and a farmer by the name of Benjamin Harrison and a, a, a landowner by the name of John Hart and a merchant by the name of Joseph Hughes and, and a, another lawyer named Thomas uh, Hayward and another lawyer named William Hooper and another merchant by the name of Stephen Hopkins and a musician, musician a lawyer uh, named Francis Hopkins and I could keep going but it's 52 of them who signed a document that said we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with a capital C. By their Creator with certain unalienable rights. What a bunch of ignorant religious nuts. Those 52 men who signed the Declaration of Independence. Just because you don't understand what God is doing doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's doing. Number three, his wise. His wise. His ways, his works, his wise. His purpose, if you will. Faith is believing that God has a purpose even when I do not know what that purpose is. In Job 42, turn turn to this with me, please. Job 42, I've got to hurry. If we're going to get out by 2 o'clock, I've got to hurry. Job 42. Job 42. Look at verse number 1. Then, Job 42, I'll give you just another moment. Job 42, verse number 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Job is repeating the question from chapter 38 that God asked of him. So he's parroting God's own question. If you go back to chapter 38 of Job, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this? Verse 2, Job 38, verse 2. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? That's the first of 84 questions that God is going to fire at Job. Because Job, though, he started so well. Job was up and down just like you and I in his thought processes. First thing, his first, his first response was, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When his wife said, Curse God and die. He said, Shall we receive good and not evil at the hand of our God? As time goes on, as he began to discuss his problems with his friends, he began to despair even of his own life. Sixteen whys in the book of Job. Why, 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 why? Why died I not from my mother's womb? And for the next, from chapter 3 and 4, all the way to chapter, through the end of chapter 37, is Job and his, his spirit, quite frankly, and his attitude toward God, decays through those chapters. When we get to the all the way into chapter 37, I'm ready for God to ring out Job's friends and set them straight. And instead, he sets Job straight. And he asked the question in chapter 38, verse 2, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? And back to chapter 42, verse 3. Job is speaking now. God said that in chapter 38, verse 2. Now Job is speaking in verse 3. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? And do you want to know who that is, God? It's me. I'm the one. Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me. Hey, guess what? That phrase, things too wonderful, same exact word 
in the Hebrew language as our text. Things too high for me. Two different ways of saying the same thing. Things too high. Things too, things above my pay grade. As high as the heavens. Yeah. Trying to reach Mars. No. Who is this that hides the counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me which I knew not. I have a very serious question for you. Listen carefully. Are you willing to live without any rational explanation for your suffering? Are you willing to live without any rational explanation for your loved one's suffering? Or do you insist that God explain Himself? Remember the disciples in the boat? Jesus said, pray, He prayed through the night. He, he worked all day. He is weary. He is bone tired. You get in the boat, it's a couple hour journey across the, across the lake. And he goes up into the one end of the boat where the water won't spray on him. And he gets a tarp of some kind and he beds down. He's going to he's sound asleep. Presently a storm comes. And we know we know Satan can work through a storm. God allowed Satan to do it. He sent a storm knocked the house over that killed all Job's ten children in one day. And here comes a storm. And Jesus sound asleep. He's sawing logs back there. He's sound asleep. And the disciples are that boat is rocking. The waves, a tempest came up. Now water's coming on the boat, and the boat is in danger of sinking, and he is still sound asleep. Talk about a sound sleeper. I guess he had a clean conscience, didn't he? <laughs> He's sound asleep, and finally the disciples you you gotta know they've been working this up for quite a while. You got to know one of them was saying, you going to wake him up? You going to wake him up? I ain't waking him up. You going to wake him up? Somebody better wake him up. And finally, they woke him up and what did they say? Carest thou not that we perish? Wait a minute. Because Jesus was not doing what they thought he ought to do, they implicated his character by suggesting that his purpose for being in that boat was to make sure they were cared for. And that he was being negligent in his duty. Carest thou not that we perish. Let me help you with something. God can do whatever he wants to do, whether it goes well with me or it doesn't go well with me because he's God. And you and I, when we stand up on a little pulpit and we want to implicate God, if God is so good, why does God let this? Well, uh, maybe, maybe it's because he's God. And maybe because uh, his knowledge is limitless and his, and his wisdom is uh, as far uh, above us as the heavens are uh, to us. And, 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 and maybe he's a little bigger than, than us figuring him out and understanding him. And maybe if you want to know this God, you stop trying to understand him and sort out all he does and just say his ways are perfect, his works are perfect, and his wise are his to share if he so chooses. But if he doesn't, he's still my God. Can I say this too? Sometimes even well-meaning friends try to interpret what's going on in your life. They do this on our behalf to try to ease our pain. But may I say this, my dear friend? We don't need to interpret God's works. We need to Learn from them. God's purposes, God's whys are not the same for one as for another. What God did in your life during your adversity may or may not be what He's doing in the life of another, though their adversity be very similar to yours. I just don't understand. Why? Why would God let this happen? Why do I have to go through this pain? Why does my loved one have to suffer? Why? Let's settle something here. If you're a believer, God is not punishing you. Pastor, God punished sin 
at Calvary. God's chastisement is never punitive. God doesn't set up in heaven and says, you're going to pay for that, buddy. That's No, no, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Amen? But what He does do is lovingly correct and lovingly discipline. Hebrews 12. What He does do is clip, clip, clip. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Any branch of me that beareth not fruit... He, he, he uh, purgeth it. He, uh, uh, any branch of me that beareth not fruit, he he does something to it. Uh, any branch of me that beareth fruit, uh, beareth not fruit, he purgeth it. Thank you, that it may bring forth more fruit. Anybody that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, bring, bring forth more fruit. If a branch won't, uh, he, he does away with it. If a branch won't bear fruit, he does away with it. If a branch bears fruit, then he purges it so it will bring forth more fruit. John 15. God is working around us. Romans eight twenty eight. We've worked all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Why? The next verse. That we might be conformed to the images of His Son. So God is correcting us, disciplining us, pruning us, molding us into the image of Christ, working on us, Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, working on us so we can do a work for Him. Listen to me. God prunes, God corrects, God disciplines, God molds, God works on us. And God, listen to me, God uses depraved human instruments called people to accomplish that purpose. Think of that. God is pruning me. God is working in me. God is working on me. God is correcting me. And He uses depraved people to do it. Uh, Can anybody say Joseph's brothers? As for you, you thought evil against me. You meant to do this. You were trying to hurt me. But God meant it unto good. The character of Christ is formed in us through adversity, hardship, and painful experiences. Last thought. His ways, His whys, His works, and lastly, His words. I cannot understand everything in this book, but I can believe this book. I have a question for you. Do you trust your Bible? Do you trust your Bible? When there's something you do not understand in the Bible, how do you handle it? With doubt or with confidence? Human understanding, listen carefully is not the key that opens God's words. These things, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, are revealed by the Spirit as we learn to compare Scripture with Scripture. As we learn to take God at His Word and we read something we don't understand. Listen, my understanding of the Word is not what makes it true. It is true because it is God's Word. It is divinely inspired. It is divinely preserved. And it will be from this generation forever. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. And the words won't pass away. Uh, God's words will not pass away forever. O Lord, Psalm 1989. Thy word is settled in heaven. This book I hold in my hand. I'm not talking about some imaginary book in some scrap of paper somewhere somebody called original. I'm talking about this book I have in my hand. This King James Bible right here is inspired. And God kept it in pure form for you and I today. And I can say, I trust this book because I trust the God who wrote this book. The purpose of studying God's Word is to get to know God. If we cannot know God until we understand His Word, then we'll never know God. The key to knowing God is first trusting God. He that cometh to God must understand, see, comprehend, no, must believe. God's ways are perfect. God's works are miraculous and unexplainable. God's wise 
are motivated by His love and guided by His wisdom. And God's Word is true, whether I understand it or not. It is the height of Phariseeism to read this book and say, I don't think that, that doesn't line up, that doesn't match. I think we ought to change that. Do you see that? Just because you don't know, just because you see something in this book that you say, I don't understand that. I don't know how that can, how that, just because you don't understand it, doesn't mean it's wrong. You ever think maybe it has something to do with your brain and not this book? And do you ever stop and think that maybe the reason that God isn't opening these questions to you is because of the way you approach this book? You want to know God? You want to know His Word? You come to it by faith. Amen? And say, I, don't, I don't understand that. But it's true because it's God's Word. Amen? There are things in our children's lives that we want them to understand. But sometimes, it's not the right time. I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to understand Him. I'm saying that you approach Him by faith. There are some things God can't yet say to us too heavy for us. Corey Tim Boone was on a train with her father. Her father was a watchmaker. She was a little girl, nine years old. And someone on that train within earshot said something profane. She had no idea what the person said. But she turned to her dad. He carried all of his watchmaker equipment in a suitcase. And it was heavy. because. And he turned to her dad. She said, Daddy, what is that? And she named the word. What does that mean? And Daddy didn't answer. And after a few minutes, Dad said, Corey, I want you to take Dad's suitcase and I want you to carry it down the aisle with me. She said, Dad, I can't do that. I can't carry your suitcase. It's too heavy. And then he said, sweetheart, there are some things that are too heavy for you to carry in your mind. Things that you can't understand and you don't need to understand yet because they're too heavy. But when you get bigger like your daddy, you'll be able to carry them. And when you're ready to carry them, I'll answer your question. Now, don't you know this? Don't you know there's a God in heaven who wants to reveal himself to us? But God's waiting for some of us to grow up. People say, I, re- I tried reading the Bible, can't get anything out of it. That's like saying, I went to school one day and I didn't get anything out of it, so I'm not, you're not going to go back to school? I've told you this over and over and over again. Uh, Olivia, is it Olivia? I'm going to get it right. Stacy. One of these days I'm going to get it right. Stacy, I want to learn to read. I want to learn to read. I want to learn to read. And we told her, said, well, you go to kindergarten, you'll learn to read. You'll learn to read. Oh, I go to kindergarten, I'll learn to read. Yay. So excited about going to kindergarten. She went to kindergarten. She was happy as a lark. We were weeping. And uh, anyway, picked her up at 3 o'clock. There we are in line. Here she comes out of kindergarten. She gets in the, in the vehicle. And how was school today? Good. Did you have fun? Uh-huh. Perplexed. But I still can't read. <laughs> she just knew she was going to learn to read when she went to kindergarten. Then she went to school all day and she didn't know how to read and she couldn't understand that. Can you read now, sweetie? She can read now. Listen, why don't you trust God? He knows what He's doing. He knows what He's doing. Bow your heads, please.